Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Some feedback I received from the Hobby Dinner Convo episodes that I did uh, a week ago from uh, Kyle's show on the Friday night, and it was well attended. There were out-of-towners, but there were some local people too. So good mix, really sharp people that had uh, strong opinions and good opinions. And then I got feedback either through my email or through YouTube making comments about the, the conversation mainly, more so about that. There wasn't a lot of comments about the acoustics, which were not good. This was in an Italian restaurant, and uh, because the, the private room was taken, and they had a private area, but it was curtained off more so than walled off. And so we had some music in the background. Apologize about that. I don't think I'll do that, even though it was a nice Italian restaurant that Rich recommended and everything. The service was fine, not a problem there, but it's just... The times I've done it before have been at the show in a room that Kyle can get near the show where everybody doesn't have to drive or even walk anywhere. You just walk down the hall and we get in one of those rooms and it's a, a little easier to do it. And I bring in Chick-fil-A, which means no knives and forks, not a lot of clanging silverware or background music or any things that we talked about. So anytime you have a whole bunch of people in a room and not everybody has a microphone, you're not going to get great acoustics. But I thought the content was really good. And as I said, it's the first time in a long time I've broken my 15-minute rule because I just didn't want to go to four 14-minute episodes. I thought if I do three 18-minute episodes... That's okay. Again, I am the boss of my own podcast, but I do know that a lot of you appreciate having shorter episodes. I've done these hobby dinner conversations with eclectic groups since the very beginning, even before I was doing the podcast. In fact, I was encouraged to do the podcast for some of the earlier dinners. They said, go for it. Uh, but those were in my a back house, a boardroom uh, that's uh, next to my card room. It's a lot of fun to be back there, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to drive down from the card show, which is 25 or 30 minutes away just to do that and then go back. But I think I'll do it again. I've really been enjoying it. I think the people are enjoying it. I have a little bit different attendance each time, a little bit different topics each time. And so I think I'll try to do something out of the show. And usually it'll be on a Saturday. The Friday night was not optimal either, but it's the way it was. I had to go to a friend's wedding. Thanks, sponsors. Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Suggs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. A few uh, comments here. I'm not really numbering them, but I'm just going to go through them. Uh, Golden Slumber, who's been commenting on my YouTube channel. He liked my Civil War analogy. Uh, again, I don't think we're going to have bullets flying, but there is tension, and different groups in the hobby don't see things the same way. And he liked also the idea of the U.S. against the world, like the Ryder Cup. He says the U.S. dollar, he thinks there's real possibility that the U.S. dollar might be replaced as the world's reserve currency. And that would be a negative for American card co uh, collectors. He doesn't see that happening. I don't see it happening for quite a while, but it could happen, and that's a scary thought. And if we did, we'd have more inflation because we, we print a lot of dollars. And the world takes them. If the world quit taking them, the value of the dollar would go down and we'd have some inflation here in this country. Don't think just because we have 10% inflation that all your cards are, quote unquote, worth 10% more. Now, you could try to sell them for 10% more, but you may find that not everything inflates at the same rate. Um, your asking price can go up, 
but you you may have a, an unpleasant surprise there. I think that's not going to happen for a while. Next was from U.S. Sports Cards, and he, I presume it's a he. <laughs> it's 93% chance that it's a he. Uh, the main comment that U.S. Sports Cards drew out was, he said, the comment that scares the heck out of me is the one about the presence of vintage at a show impacting people to think that their modern cards can be a long-term durable good. And that's scary to him. It's this ongoing store of value conversation that vintage sometimes appears to be a better store of value because it's more stable. But frankly, if card collecting falls out of vogue, vintage will take a hit and so will modern. Now, would modern take a bigger hit? Who knows? Modern cards, people are familiar with that. I think people are always going to want to have cards. But if there were a lot less people collecting and chasing them, prices would go down. That was Chris McGill of the Crossover and House of Jordans who who made that comment. And I understood. I, I think he meant it in a very positive way. When you see these iconic cards from 50, 75, 100, 125 years ago going for big bucks, it makes you think that in 50 years, because he is going to live another 50 years, I hope. So it's giving him a comfort. That's not scary to him. It's encouraging to him. Most vintage collectors, like I said, the whole point of the, the starting off the, the dinner conversation was about the tension between the vintage people don't always get the modern and, and vice versa. Uh, next comment from Beansball Card Blog. Ken Kinsley, who's uh, comments a lot and uh, always has something uh, nice to say, but he does not like having the TCGs in and, in and around the baseball cards, and uh, whether it's vintage or modern. I really think there's two kinds of tension. That uh, in in summary, for when you go into a big show and you look around, there's some clusters sometimes of, of vintage dealers at the National, but not exclusively. And the modern is pretty much everywhere. But uh, Kyle has some smaller rooms where he'll put the TCGs or non-sport other kinds of things. But there's wax dealers that want to be near each other, or maybe they don't. Art, memorabilia, other kinds of things. The problem is many dealers can carry both things. But if you have predominantly TCGs, uh, I agree with you. And most of them do not have high national priorities, so they don't get to pick first. Whereas the vintage guys, most of them have a very high table priority to get first pick of being close to the front door. Next from Bob Booz, mentioning the tension between vintage and modern. I don't think people dislike vintage. They just relate more strongly, as, as Bob is pointing out, with players they've watched. Now, I actually did watch vintage players, uh, not, not the Babe Ruth era of the 30s, but the guys in the 50s I saw play, and they were iconic, and they'll be forever emblazoned in my memory. The younger guys, if you saw them play, that's going to be good. His conclusion is he doesn't really think that whether vintage and modern should be separated, uh, there are too many dealers that have the same. Like I said, my battle lines would be on trying to put the TCGs together and and leave the sports guys um, clustered. But again, there's too many dealers that have a little bit of uh, vintage and a lot of modern or vice versa. Another one from Bob Boozle. He commented that, you know, again, this is very unscripted. I had Joe Davis there and I uh, asked him about Jeff Wilson's new store, which is going to have a lot of positive publicity because it's a, a really big store in more Atlanta proper, I think. And Joe is out in the suburbs. So he really appreciated that I asked Joe what he thought of uh, Jeff's store. And, and Jeff was not there. Jeff has been at some of these others. He, so he could speak for himself. But uh, when Joe was laying it out there, again, Joe has is very 
outstanding store and it's an hour away from the main shows in Atlanta and an hour away from Jeff's store. And so people don't always want to drive an hour, uh, for their LC as their local card shop. And I need to apologize, not necessarily to Jeff, but I, I misrepresented Jeff Wilson's partner situation. I really didn't know the backstory. So it made a lot of sense that he had a couple of guys that were going to put in their own store and they connected. I assumed they were passive investors. And I don't want to get a passive investor if I've got a gold mine. I, I, I don't want to spread the risk if I think the risk is very low. But it's, it still is a risky thing. But going in with knowledgeable partners, I like that. My card store experience was with Wayne Grove and Gervis Ford, two guys that I had high trust and good friendships for a long time. And that made it more fun. So I agree with that. And he also points out that we're trying to have it both ways when we say we want stuff for kids. But then we criticize that the 2023 Tops flagship is overproduced. We need to have some lower price products. And the way they're going to be lower priced is if they make a lot of them. And then same thing, the mixed message on the Panini Prism type products, regardless of sport. A lot of what Panini does has so many parallels. But I think people like parallels. The problem being that after you get done chasing all the parallels, you're left with a pretty big stack of base card. And Mookie Chilson, frequent commenter, he really enjoyed this and was wondering if it was the first time, but he called them salon-style discussions where there no agenda really, but he started off with a conversation. It only works if you have really sharp, committed, passionate people in the room, and we did. So I said the first ones, I did several here in my boardroom at home, but that was mainly local people, a few out-of-towners. Then I did the Chick-fil-A version, more casual, right after the show, at the show hotel, and this one in Brio which was not great acoustics, but it worked. It was fun. And then Mookie had another one. He said it was fun trying to figure out who was talking. Even if I were to tell people at the beginning, hey, before you say anything, say your name and all that. I thought about doing that, but it just breaks down. But many of them, there are other content creators. So they, if you, as I do, listen to their YouTube and podcast channels, you're going to recognize Mike Moynihan or John Keating or Chris McGill or Christina Thorson. They all have their channels that get a lot of exposure, and I encourage you to check them out. The other thing Mookie mentioned is that he sensed correctly that they, these were pretty unguarded opinions. I didn't give any advance warning of what I wanted to delve into, and so they were just hitting it cold. And so they, we were it's off script. So yes, Mookie, they're more unguarded opinions. But on the other hand, they knew it was being recorded. There was a microphone, a big giant microphone sitting in the middle of the table, and people were leaning in. They wanted their opinions heard. Then he finishes up with, I should do more recording of my meals. <laughs> and Mookie, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to not have potato chips at meals when I'm recording. And I'm going to try to not speak with my mouth full. So I appreciate your encouragement to look for opportunities to record interesting conversations, which is exactly what I'm doing. If, if I think it's going to be interesting uh, conversation, I want to turn the recorder on. And I, I can edit it up to a point in some of the background noise, but I'm not a professional. And uh, I will say this, the only non-speaker at the hobby dinner uh, conversation was Josh Davis, who was there. Josh is Joe Davis's outstanding son, and he comes in for some of the shows to help his dad. I maybe I'd briefly met him in person or seen him at a show, but I never really had spent much time with him. But then we had the father-son thing, and I thought, if he's here, yes, he should come. He probably was 
respecting his elders <laughs> too much. Because again, I think that when you're in the room like that, whether you're a man or a woman or younger or older, every opinion counts. It wasn't hard to figure out when it was Christina <laughs> Thorson talking because she was the only woman in the room and many of the others hopefully recognized. Like I said, I thought it was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll do it again. Thank you for uh, the feedback and the encouragement because there's not just hobby knowledge, but there's a relational knowledge of people coming at the hobby in different ways. And those positive tensions make it dynamic and make it fun. So thanks, everybody. And I'll be back again in a couple of days, another episode. is doing.